Welcome back to the Exit VO podcast. I'm Adam Cohen alongside Henry Winklehake and Ben Rossi. And guys, we're already on our 58th show, which is pretty hard to believe. And we're getting around the lukewarm stove, as I like to call it, because it's not quite hot, but we do have a lot of signings that have happened recently, a lot of non-tenderings. And there were some surprising pits that we saw in the last few days. Absolutely, man. I was going to say the, the, uh, I'm sorry, the subtraction has almost been the, the bigger story so far, as far as player movement than the addition, but still giving us something to talk about either way. And, and one of those non-tenders I am particularly not thrilled about, uh, but we will get into that. Yeah, it's been an exciting week. I mean, it was it, it was both shocking and not super shocking. Like, I mean, we we definitely knew that there would be a lot of disappointed guys not being re-signed with their teams, disappointed names right now this off season or, or or available free agents. But like, but considering for what this off season's bringing, and considering the uncertainty this off season's bring, I was impressed this week by some of the guys who did get re-signed, some of the tendering that did happen with some of the teams, but we should have an exciting next few months ahead. And we still are yet to kind of find out about most of like the hot, really high profile free agents and where they've, and where they've landed. I do worry that there could be some type of lull because usually after non-tenders, it goes silent for a couple of weeks. So this might be the best hot stove that we're going to be seeing for a little while until some, until some big name gets off the board. But Henry, I will allude to the pick that you mentioned or the non-tender player that you mentioned. That was Kyle Schwarber, who highlighted the group of players who were non-tendered. Kyle Schwarber, of course, was one of the heroes for the Cubs during the 2016 World Series run, had one of the best playoff series in recent years, and that was only his rookie rookie season. He was also, I think, coming back from injury as well. So it was very impressive. And he's been a power hitter for the Cubs for many years now, and they didn't want to pay him that high arbitration value type of contract. So they let him go, which ends an error for him in Chicago. But there are a lot of teams that could be offering, trying to offer him their services. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see teams lining up to get some Kyle Schwarber in their lineup, especially if it's it's just going to be one year and, I mean, it's not like super, super low cost. Obviously, it was, it was too much for the Cubs if they non-tendered him, but I, I believe it should be somewhere right around in that $10 million range for one season. And he's a guy who can hit a lot of home runs, has a lot of power in that bat, and, and I'm, I'm really sad to see him go. And I'm sad at what that may mean for the future of the Cubs, if, if that could be an indication of a rebuild getting ready to start. But definitely, Adam, I think that he, he's going to not uh, – I mean, I'm not sure he's going to be signed like right away, but I can I can tell you he's going to be signed by somebody. He's he's going to find a home, no problem. Yeah, and it's interesting. Speaking of some of these tendering and power hit hitters who who were in some ways, maybe in some ways, surprisingly ten, non non tendered by their teams. I'm going to have to. I, I'm going to go to another one of the top, top players who was non tender. We had Adam Duvall, the most, who I think was arguably probably the most excite the most unexpected of like the non-tender i mean his he provided lots of offensive production and pop as he was part of a strong braves batting order all while posting an ops plus and a 14.6 percent barrel rate which ranks 16th this year and i think i mean i just wonder if that's maybe means that the braves would be moving forward towards signing marcelo zuna but he's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what team tries to pursue adam duvall like him and 
quad Kyle Schwarber, a couple a couple power hitting outfielders now have kind of shaken up the free agent market a little more. Both of these non-tendered players that you guys picked really are telling about how these two teams are faring. Of course, this is namely the the Cubs and the Braves. The Cubs, they could be going into a rebuild because their core has not done as well as expected in the recent years, and a lot of them are are going to be free agents in the next year or two. And then as for the Braves, well, I heard about Duvall is that originally he would he would probably be with them. They already announced there would be a DH in NL in 2020, but because they're unsure, because they have so many loaded outfielders such as Ronald Acuna, Nick Marcakis, and now Christian Bechet, and even Drew Walters who is coming up, then they might not need him. And that's unfortunate because he had a ridiculous September. He hit around 10 home runs or something like that, and he's a guy who could be productive. He's a 30-homer guy plays good defense in the past. So it is surprising. And then there's also some surprising players who did not, who did get tendered a contract. And that also includes Yankee Gary Sanchez, who a lot of people thought he would get non-tendered because he hasn't been great in the, a couple for a couple of years now. And he was also getting up in arbitration. So some people thought that it would be an interesting move. If they did non-tender him or even Chris Bryant as well. But um, I actually do think it's a good idea for both teams to hold on to them because they can still trade them and maybe they can still get some value out of them for the next season. That tends to be my line of thinking as well, Adam, that especially if you're a huge big market team like the Cubs or the Yankees where you can get, you mean you're not uh, in the same position as some of those smaller budget teams where you have to pinch pennies quite so hard. It, I mean, if these guys have any trade value, why not tender the contract and try and get something for them instead of just letting them walk for for free that's like assuming i guess that you're not going to get anything of value in return which i definitely don't think is the case for either gary sanchez or chris bryant and i, I wouldn't say for kyle schwarber either uh, i i think duvall is a step below schwarber uh for me but i like the the point you made with all that depth in the in the braves outfield i mean duvall is kind of a streaky guy but maybe you could afford to take that on and then just play him when he's hot and then you have other guys to play when when he's uh not doing so great but yeah i mean i i go to round back to your point adam i, I wasn't um i wasn't surprised to see bryant and, and sanchez tendered so much but yeah definitely was surprised to see schwarber not tendered i will say also go ahead ben sorry Oh yeah, well I was just gonna comment on a few other there were a few other big names that were tendered that we can talk about. Like we had Eddie Rosario was tendered and I mean he was another one I maybe wasn't as shocked with like some of his value potentially dropping from last season. But he overall he I mean he looked pretty pretty good. So I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on Eddie Rosario? I don't know how Eddie Rosario's 2020 campaign was, but I don't think it was too great, and that could be one of the reasons why they decided to cut him. But, he, again, he's proven in the past that he's a very respectful player, and I believe the Twins could also still use some outfield help. So it's it's a little weird that they decided to go that route. I know they have uh, Alex Kriloff, who did debut in the postseason, so perhaps he can replace him. But, yeah, there definitely were some strange – uh, players who got non-tendered. For example, Hanser Alberto got non-tendered by the Orioles, and he was pretty good for them last year. Additionally, the Reds who had two mid-season acquisitions, including Archie Bradley and Brian Goodwin, only to non-tender them. So what was the point of all that? What was the point of giving up those players if you're just going to re release them by the end of the year? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. And 
I'm pretty pessimistic about what it means for the game moving forward and what it means for the free agent market because it looks like owners are, are not going to be willing to spend a whole lot of money and, and they're kind of already clutching their purses, not trying to dish out those contracts. We see that with some of the non-tenders. Ben, I'm really glad you mentioned Eddie Rosario as well. That was that was one that stuck out to me that, I mean, he's I thought of him as a pretty perennially I'm not going to say great, but definitely good outfielder who was a solid bat every year. And yes, the 2020 stats were a little bit down, but I mean, this is like a plus 800 OPS guy for three out of the last four years now. And so I I was surprised to see Minnesota moving on from him, especially him only being 29 years old. But I I guess maybe with the CBA uh, fight looming and after the 2021 season, that just kind of the whole financial situation, the game is, is really rocky right now. Yeah, I will say that, but I mean, the the, the list the list wasn't ne- maybe nearly as long as I thought it would be in terms of in terms of some of the non-tendered players. But but yeah, I do kind of agree. I didn't think about how like some of the some of the guys who we thought were gonna maybe who only like had one year left on their contract that they could maybe trade for and stuff. Especially, I mean, particularly with like relievers, like you were saying. Cause like like I like I was thinking relievers. I mean, aren't partic- aren't going to be particular. I mean, there's a couple of exceptions here on the market with relievers, but relievers aren't going to be particularly like big names on the market. Cause I just think the relieving position that's like the one position where it's the hardest to find the the bullpen position where it's the hardest to really truly find consistency over the years. And I think we've discussed this before. I mean, the Archie Bradley one I can sort of understand because the Reds maybe do actually. I looked at a lot of their other bullpen stats. They do have some other stronger bullpen stats but then yeah some of these other moves like the like the Hanser Robles one I was a little bit shocked about I mean especially yet yeah, so, so especially given that some of these these players won't get they might get more in exchange training them than just like simply releasing them or I don't know if they'll be really found out in the cold from a lot of these teams with the bullpen value. I mean, we'll just have to see how that turns out. Although there are some strange players that have been non-tendered and there is a little bit of talent, at least among the higher profile names, overall it's going to be a lot really tough for these players who are non-tendered because there's such a high influx of young talent and every team's trying to save money right now. So maybe they do go after these guys because they don't cost a lot, but they're also trying to put the best team on the field. So a lot of these players who are non-tendered might be looking for minor league deals or one-year deals or below value deals because they were non-tendered and perhaps not seen as good enough to get that arbitration eligible contract. That's a good point as well, Adam. And I I certainly would be nervous to be a non-tendered player, especially kind of in this financial climate where you have the owners crying about how much money they lost last year, where they're definitely going to ask them to take some minor league and, and some low money deals. Um, I just hope the players don't get screwed over too badly. Yeah, I just really think I'm hoping the players will eventually reach something with their owners. And I mean, it's just what it's just one of these off seasons. I mean, this was kind of bound to happen by everything that's gone on this year. We kind of unfortunately saw this happening with a lot of the loss of finances. I mean, not just in any in this sport, but in many industries. But I just am hoping that like that like maybe the teams will figure out something maybe if the team if one team can maybe start signing players for a little bit of a lower amount one player can like come out and be willing to take that pay cut maybe that will inspire 
other players to follow there and hopefully save the game and slowly build it up again. Because, I mean, hopefully we, we just need that name that's going to come out and, like, play the game, not be too worried about money and just be willing to, like, keep the game going there for the fans. So I think that's that, that that's one that's one hope that we that we'll need this offseason for sure going down the line. It will be interesting to see if that happens. For these bigger market teams, of course, you might not see as many hometown discounts because at the end of the day, you can still afford these players and they weren't hit as hard. But a team such as the Tampa Bay Rays, they really have to be cost conscientious with their money and how they spend during the offseason because they might not be able to retain their ace, Blake Snell, who's been on the trade market. So we will certainly see how that plays out, of course. But a couple of players did sign some deals in the most recent days, and they actually got paid pretty well. For example, Trevor May signed a two-year, $15 million deal for the Mets, and Trevor May was this back-end pitcher for the Twins in their bullpen, had a run over 3-5 right over the last couple years and has a high strikeout rate. But this is his first time, of course, entering free agency. He hasn't been very above average for too long. And he got a pretty nice deal for a reliever. And now he's going to be the Mets setup man when they already have a bit of a struggling bullpen. So I think this might be a bit of an overpay. And maybe they could even sign someone better. But he's not a bad guy to have. I just don't think he should be in the setup role. It's, it's hard to say, I guess. The Mets do have a suddenly a really strong looking bullpen, and I would totally agree Edwin Diaz should be the closer. Um, and then there maybe are a couple different guys you can give the setup role to instead of Trevor May. And perhaps it's it's a little bit of an overpay, um, but I, I I think it's encouraging. Maybe set the market a little bit higher for the players. And I don't know. I, I think Trevor May has been pretty good over the last couple of years. I don't think it's necessarily a bad signing by the Mets, but it, it'll definitely be easier to say when we look back at the end of the offseason, we see what other moves they made. And and then I will be ready to critique it if, if this like prevents them from going out and getting JT Real Muto or something. I feel like, yeah, I mean, it's it's possible also, like, like Henry said about getting JT Real Muto and seeing if that permits. I also will wonder if like that's going to, play a role in like preventing them from getting Trevor Bauer to another big name that the Mets are potentially suitors for. But I think it's hard to say. I mean, yeah, Trevor may was slightly below average when it came to runs allowed adjusted for his park factory through in this year and last year. And, but, and I mean, there are increasingly more relievers on the market, but then when I looked at a lot of the names of the relievers on the market, there was no one that compelling. I mean, there was, there was Liam. I mean, obviously there were there, there were exceptions like Liam Hendricks, who's like a great one, but he'd take a he'd take a lot more than that for a team to pursue him for what he's worth. And plus, they all already have their closers, so in some ways, Trevor May was more meant for their role. So I I actually think that with the modest value of a lot of the free of the, a lot of the free agent relievers on the market, this is gonna this is gonna this is gonna be a, be, a beneficial thing for the Mets to have to have that reliever like Trevor May going down the line. I agree with you guys that it's a good signing. It definitely helps out their bullpen, and it helps add to something that was a big weakness for them the last couple of years. But it is interesting because I do wonder how much $7.5 million a year will be able to break the bank for the Mets. And they, if you take away, of course, Robinson Cano and Jacob DeGrom, I don't think the Mets have too high of a payroll, which is allowing them to really pursue – players such as Trevor Bauer and George Springer, and that's not to say they're going to go after everyone, 
this offseason, but they've certainly been linked to a lot of high-profile names. So I don't think it's going to stop them from getting a high-profile name. Maybe they probably won't assign two high-profile names just because they're the Mets, and that'd be a lot on their plate. But I don't think it's like a make-or-break for them that they signed Trevor May to this contract. That's uh, yeah, I, I agree, Adam. I probably overstated that a little bit, and that this isn't going to stop them from going out and getting a Trevor Bauer or or JT Realmuto. But perhaps it, it stops you from going out and getting a combination of them to where you're not able to go out and get every free agent like some of the Mets fans were were anticipating. But you mentioned Robbie Cano. Do, do they have to pay him this year, even though he's suspended for the whole season? Oh, not next year, but of course in future years. Okay, cool. I, I was just curious. I thought that payroll came off the books with the, the PED suspension. So, hey, maybe uh, you, that's where your Trevor May money is coming from. You figured you, you saved on uh, Cano, you go out and get you a reliever. That's a fair point. Another big deal that happened this week was Mike Miner signing with the Royals. Now, I was surprised by this deal because Miner is just a year removed from one of his best seasons, if not his best season where he pitched 200 innings and had 200 strikeouts or 200 plus strikeouts or 200 plus innings. And he signed a pretty reasonably priced deal for the Royals. It was a two year, 18 million deal for one year, 13 million option, actually not too bad for him, but out of all teams, I was a bit surprised that he signed with the Royals because they're not a contender. Might not even be a contender in the next two years or next three years. And he seemed like the type of guy to maybe find himself valuable to a contender during this off season. I think I, I oh, sorry, you go, you go, man. You got it. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, just seeing that. And I mean, I saw Mike Meyer quite a bit this season when the A's trade for him too. And, and, and how like, he just didn't have the same stuff like in his other seasons, how he struggled dramatically this year with the Rangers. He did. I mean, he did improve towards the end of the season. I definitely saw some improvements with him, but I think simply minor is trying to prove himself again after a rough, season and i feel like this is his best chance of getting more starts in the rotation given that it's a team like the royals and it will give him a chance to get some of that 2018 2019 mojo back where he had some like amazing above average era plus stats that we were talking about and so i i, and I just think yeah with teams being like maybe unwill i just don't know what teams are going to be willing to offer him a contract given given that team might be so frugal with all this free agent signing. So at this point, I think this might've been one of the best deals for someone like Mike Miner. When I looked, when I looked at this, I will agree with Adam though, that I was a little surprised to see Kansas city being the team that does sign him, that he definitely seemed like a guy who would be fit more in on a contender. That's, that's why we saw the A's go out and trade for him last year that, you need veteran starting pitchers on, on contending teams. And, and I mean, the Royals don't really need much of anything. They're not going to be very good. Um, not to, not to totally dismiss their chances, but I, I did think it was weird from that aspect as well, but the money uh, seemed about right to me. I've, I've truthfully never been too much of a Mike minor believer myself. Um, so I, I thought the modest payday was was about right. Um, and, and interesting, I kind of like felt like Mike Miner had been like a longtime Royal or something, but he spent one season there. It was 2017, and that statistically actually was one of his better seasons. So maybe Kansas City thinks they're just the, the Mike Miner whisperers and, and they can get the best out of them. <laughs> well, I think Kansas City did a great job acquiring Miner because now they have an ace in the rotation or someone who used to or it was one year removed from being an ace, I should say. I don't know if he'll be an ace again. That might have been a flute season or 
he might not live up to that season considering he's up in his 30s. But nonetheless, if he does perform well, they can always trade him off and he can increase his stock. So not only does he maybe get more chances to start, more chances to lead on top of the rotation that Ben was talking about, but Kansas City can flip him and perhaps get some prospects, which they, of course, need since they're trying to rebuild. That's it. Adam wins. That, you just changed my mind. That that totally screams trade bait uh, kind of signing to me that, I mean, you're the Royals. You don't have a huge payroll or anything. So, yeah, take a flyer on your Mike Miner, and then when you inevitably are sellers at the deadline, flip him. Another interesting transaction that happened was that the Angels acquired Jose Iglesias from the Orioles. And that was another move that seemed like a bit of a head scratcher considering that Iglesias had a tremendous season for the Orioles. He's obviously a gifted defender his entire career, but also bad in the high 300s this year as well. Obviously it's a short span, but it was still impressive nonetheless. And all the Orioles got in return for him. And this is probably appropriate with Iglesias' career, but it was these two players who have barely spent any time in the minors. I think even one of the players out of this list out of Garrett Stallings and, John, and Gene Pinto has not spent any time in the minors. So this kind of bodes two questions. Are the Angels set at shortstop? And also, why are the Orioles getting rid of such players such as Hanser Alberto and Renato Nunez and also Iglesias, of course? Well, I should point out, too, this is now two straight years that the Orioles have inexplicably gotten rid of a high-performing shortstop. It was Jonathan VR last year. Um, and it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I think, for Baltimore and and maybe it's tanking uh, would be the, the way I would try to explain it. Um, but I think it's a good move for the Angels if the Orioles are, are willing to give away steady, good shortstops for free pretty much. Then, yeah, why not? Uh, I think that's a good move. I don't, I don't know if I would say they're set at shortstop. I don't love Jose Iglesias that much. But, I mean, when you're getting him for basically nothing, then, yeah, I mean, why not? Like you said, Adam, perennially, perennially great defender. And the bat definitely flashing upside last season. So why not take a flyer? Yeah, I'm going to agree there. At the same time, though, I feel like with them, offense really not being that much of the problem for a team like the Angels, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit surprised they didn't just stay with their current shortstop Angleton Simmons I know Simmons had a down year with injury I know he was I know he wasn't like a gold glove winning shortstop again this year but I mean he's he's shown flashes of being able to have a turnaround and he's not too expensive with value so I actually thought that I actually was a little bit surprised they decided to move on from from him but like I guess that means hopefully hopefully and hopefully that'll mean another team will pursue Angleton Simmons because there are definitely a lot of teams in need of like shortstops. Not everyone's going to get that like Marcus Simeon or Francisco Lindor this off season. So that will, so I guess that will give another alt, nice alternative option for a lot of these teams. And maybe he'd be a good low, lower spending option to set the free agent market range. You definitely hit a nail on that one because of course, Jose Iglesias, he seems like almost a beta type of Angleton Simmons. They're both the shortstops who don't really do too well with the bat and they're throughout their career, but are great defenders. Simmons, of course, is a platinum gold, uh, gold glove winner, a platinum glove winner and a gold glove winner. And Iglesias, I don't think he has won a gold glove, but he's definitely been in consideration for it. So it's a nice low signing move. And this could be a good sign for the Angels who are trying to also revamp their roster, trying to give Mike Trout a title, get him back to the playoffs. So it's a nice deal on their end. But and it might not be the end of it either. They still can maybe re-sign um, 
maybe still re-sign Simmons or maybe try to go after a more high-profile high shortstop considering after Trout and Upton and even Joe Odell. They don't have too, too much. I mean, I guess you can include Tommy Listell. Even Tommy Listell, yeah, he's, he's gone from their team now. So they maybe, they're maybe not so offensively laden as we think. So maybe this is not the end for the Angels. Can Otani play shortstop too? <laughs> he certainly has me, the athleticism right? for it. I would love to see that, man. Just put him anywhere on that diamond and, and let him play. But yeah, I, I like what you guys are saying as well. That it, it, it's, he kind of does seem to fit that mold of Simmons. Definitely a similar player, and maybe that speaks to what the Angels are, are looking for in a shortstop. But it's crazy. You, you guys started to mention some of the great shortstops that are available on the market or, or trade market or free agency, but just how far the game has come at, at that position in the last decade or so. I, I remember when no shortstops could hit, they were all kind of your defender archetypes. And now there's like 20 legitimate, like batting shortstops in the league. There, there's some studs around. Yeah. It is crazy to see how positions have evolved in this league. Like, I mean, in the, in, like, I mean, I think, I mean, I mean, this might be crazy to say, but I think shortstops at this point is almost like there's almost as many great hitting shortstops as now there are like almost like great hitting first basemen, I would say. And some there might be more. Way. Yeah. Who, who knows? I mean, and I mean, and there's definitely a lot more great hitting third baseman. That's a position that's really evolved like these past years, past decade for sure. I completely agree with you guys. Shortstop's been ridiculous. I think, what was it, 2019, there was. Around three players who are in the 2020 conversation or at 2020 seasons, Lindor, Story, and Baez, of course, your Cubby Henry. So, yeah, there's certainly a great tier of shortstops. You add in Correa, you add in Torres, that miss, even Gregorius has been atop the leaderboards too. Can't forget Xander Bogarts either. So, it's incredible because really for a while, I know Jeter was one of the, considered one of the best shortstops in the game. He put in Henry Ramirez too. And, those are really the two name brands that can maybe match up to the other hitters. But now each of these guys respectively are some of the best players in the game. Absolutely, man. It, it's a loaded position and exciting to see, you know, so many guys that can do it great with the glove and, and at the plate as well coming up and especially batting being so deprived at the position for so long. Uh, but another couple moves uh, we have to discuss Corey Knable of the Brewers, the one-time closer or former closer, I should say, getting shipped out to L.A. for pocket change, cash, or a player to be named later uh, with the Dodgers getting are giving up for Corey Knable's services. Um, he was a once great closer, kind of fallen for grace, uh, fallen from grace, I should say. He missed the entire 2019 season with Tommy John surgery, missed part of 2020, uh, was injured on the shelf as well. Um, and the numbers weren't that great when he did come back in 2020. So the Brewers pretty much giving him away. Uh, is that dumb of the Brewers? Is that smart of the Dodgers? How are we feeling? I think it's not a bad move for the Dodgers, I would say. Brewers I'm not so sure about. I mean, they, they did have some a couple other big flashes, obviously, in their bullpen. Obviously, he's not their only name in the bullpen. But like I would, but like I would say for the Dodgers, this could be – a good move because like for example as we know the dodgers like at pitching at times was inconsistent they're i mean without a doubt the bullpen has always been seen as like their weakest link but besides that i mean i mean yeah given that was that they didn't really have like always have the set guy for whatever inning in the dodgers bullpen i don't think this is a bad player to take a risk on personally 
I think it's a great move for the Dodgers. They're adding a former all-star. He's a low-risk, high-reward type of player. They have a lot of young relievers in the roster who maybe battle him for time. Sets up really good competition. It adds their bullpen depth, which they probably can need it a little bit this offseason. So I think it's a great move on there. And as for the Brewers, I'm a little confused by it as well, you guys, because the Brewers right now, their big four, Josh Hader, Devin Williams, then after that it falls off and Brett Suter and Freddie Peralta. And then they don't really have too many other relievers that are talented. So to kind of take a swing and a miss on Corbin, or I mean, uh, Corey Kniebel, excuse me, and just not re-sign him and just hope that he gets back to form when he's only a couple years removed, I think it was a little strange. He didn't have the best 2020, but they still could have taken a chance on him. I think it is a little strange too. And we, I know we talked about Brewers bullpen in earlier episodes and Adam Weed speculated, Hey, maybe they could trade hater. They have Devin Williams behind him. And I was a little more comfortable with that when you have the upside of Canable in that bullpen as well. But I mean, even if he's a guy who didn't produce last year and has the injury history, you've got to have some upside in your bullpen and, and clearly the Dodgers, that's, that's what they're chasing there and getting him. And that's a bullpen that already had a lot of upside. So you guys watch out. I hope the Dodgers don't repeat, but and this isn't certainly isn't going to be the move that pushes them over the top to make them title repeaters. But yeah, I think it's a good move. Besides these non-tendering updates and these recent transactions, there's also a lot of news in the minor leagues this week. And frankly, I've been pretty curious about the minor leagues because we heard about so much about them before the season started about what the fate of these teams were. And now we're finally having some answers. And I think one of the new things that have been really interesting, especially that's been recent too, it's new MLB Draft League. So essentially this draft league is a 68-game season with MLB-ready prospects. These prospects are hopefully going to try to have a great first impression. And by the time they're at their all-star break for the season, they'll be right by the MLB draft. This could help their stock. MLB is actually working with PBR, otherwise known as Prep Baseball Report. And you guys might have heard of Perfect Game or Baseball Factory or some other organization that develops young talent. But PBR has really been emerging in recent years as one of the more, more premier like collegiate and high school type of talent that they're producing. So to have them be sponsored MLB is a great look for their organization. Additionally, uh, a bunch of teams who are formerly in the minor leagues will be in this new draft league, which is not a professional league, but just a field, just MLB partner league. And that also includes the AA Trenton Thunder, who were in the Yankees organization, or affiliate of the Yankees organization for quite some time, and four former single-A short season teams. So I think it's interesting because there's a lot of minor league teams that were on the brink of extinction. We're going to talk about one of these teams that have been terminated, essentially, and are also getting moved down. But at the end of the day, at least they're still around. At least there's fan, they still have their fan base. And I think one of the plus sides of this is now that fan bases will get familiar with MLB-ready prospects, who they could see on their team in the near future as well. I'm really happy with this with these moves with the minor leagues. I feel like I feel like there was a good compromise reached in terms of that. And this is maybe a good first, decent first, maybe not good, but decent first step in the collective bargaining agreement. One of the main things that was going to be discussed, like this was being discussed. It's about a year in March, about a year ago now when like they were first discussing cutting these minor league teams but then like a lot i like but then a lot of communities pointing out their outrages because a lot of, i mean a lot of these smaller rural communities the minor league teams are are, are almost like 
a big stable to the community. They're what brings the communities together. They've what have they're what have like beneficially impacted the economies in these smaller towns that the minor leagues play. Like they depend on these in a lot of ways, in some ways even more than some of these big major cities depend on professional teams because you have do have a lot more in like these big major cities. So I was I was also a little bit appalled at like the proposal to cut it, but cut them. And I almost wasn't surprised seeing that le- that was going to happen too when the pandemic made it even less surprising seeing that there was no minor league season, there was lack of funding for that. But then I was impressed just now to see the report that they were able to come up with this new draft league and then not to mention the Pioneer League, all these teams in the, this West Coast Pioneer League that we're going to talk about. They were especially like some of the first teams that were going to go as far as the minor league reduction. But now all these, it looks like all these Pioneer Leagues are going to be maintained. They're just going to be in this so-called partner league that's going to be like the developmental league it's going to be like a but it's going to be like an independent league but it's a good compromise because it's going to be a little closer affiliated to mlb teams and scouts will be a little more present there than like some of these other in the current independent leagues we're talking about i appreciate how you guys kind of broken down the the pros and cons of this um because i think on the pro side it definitely is positive that these teams are getting still some kind of second life they're still playing baseball and getting another chance uh I think on the con side, it's obviously sad and upsetting that they're in this position in the first place where they kind of have to, maybe you call it desperate. I don't, that's, that seems mean, but yeah, I mean, they're innovating, which in, in a real sense is what 2020 has been all about and what the minor league baseball and MLB are, are both going to have to do going forward to continue to grow the game and to continue to keep the game alive in some of these areas where we see it on the verge of extinction. Um, so I think it's definitely positive uh, to find a creative solution like this and hopefully um, give some more players some exposure and, and help get them up ready for the draft. I know especially after the only five rounds of, of the MLB draft last season that it, it's, there's a whole lot of young prospects who were chopping at the bits to get a chance and get up there. So I think as many opportunities like this as we can create for guys to show what they got and potentially move on to play at the next level. I think that's just always great news. I love the fact that you mentioned how there was a lot of players who missed out on the draft last year. Uh, even from the lead that I broadcasted for this summer, I knew a couple of players who were honestly just postponing their draft status and hope to sign with a major league organization. So to have that maybe go some back, some type back to normal and have a lead that helps prepare you, this could be an instant success. And there's a lot of other really good leads the Cape Cod League, for example, is coming back next year. They had the season off. The Norfolk League will have their normal season. These are some of the best leagues that are collegiate-run baseball or even have like high school players, a couple of them in there too. But MLB Draft League is obviously could has would have more potential than either of these leagues, and these two leagues have been around for quite some time. So I think this is a great idea on MLB's part, but there are some losers in this. For example, the owners of these minor league organizations – they're not big business owners. They're small business owners, and they're not getting any help here. They're losing all their players in the roster, and they're being like downgraded, and they're also not affiliated with the MLB team anymore, so they don't have as many luxuries, and the players themselves that were originally on the team, those are the losers, and that's upsetting, but at least there's also some good with this, and originally it looks like the MLB was going to leave every minor league organization out to dry, but at least they're planning some way to keep them around, even if it's not in a farm system. Yeah, absolutely. I got to say, I'm really happy. And then also not to mention, I mean, this comes just after months after another one of those low ball affiliates went independent, the Appalachian League on the East Coast. And it it sounds like that league is now going to 
Jonah, I was reading an article today. It was interesting from Forbes that was saying that the Appalachian League is now going to be more of a competitor with some of this other summer collegiate ball league, the Cape Cod League. Now that they're going to be independent, it will give it will give players a little more of an option there. So yeah, I'm like I'm so yeah, I'm liking I'm kind of liking what's going to do in terms of it maybe increasing some of the choices of where some of these undrafted players can play to players not knowing they have to always be drafted to be in this not to mention with the lower minor with the with the minor league players i think the big th the big reason why they were doing this and the re reason why i mean everyone knows this was definitely necessary is i think it will definitely give bit teams the ability to offset some of the, like to actually improve some of the better conditions of minor league baseball. Like what I've been hearing about with minor league baseball and guys, just such a, I think it's like an overground. I mean, obviously playing in the minor leagues is never supposed to be like easy, never supposed to be like what you want, but it's like, I feel like it's overground. I mean, these guys are making about the wages almost close to that of the high school janitor, I think. And, and like they're, and like they're just taking buses around, not not getting not getting fully recognized, having to travel long, long distances on buses. And I, I just think it's it's been long overdue for the MLB to improve these minor league baseball conditions. And this will kind of allow them to do that with especially with their higher level minor league teams like their double A AA and triple A affiliates. I hope so. I hope that they do continue to invest in the minor leagues and continue to improve these organizations uh, because it absolutely is important. And and Ben, like you mentioned as well, there are so many guys that you hear about in the minor leagues who live in paycheck to paycheck or, or work in another job just to be able to support themselves while playing minor league baseball. So the league needs to continue to invest in these guys and do a better job. Um, but man, I just I hope that that it continues to go on uh, and that we continue to see progress because. It's crazy. Like the league is is not really seeming to prioritize minor league baseball right now, which is kind of wild considering like how important youth is in the game right now that it, it's all about young players and getting these guys developed and MLB ready. Yet the, it's you're not investing in, in your farm system. So I, I don't know if that's going to have some long term effects sometime down the road, but I mean, certainly you can't have minor league baseball fail and, and these farm systems cease to exist. You have to have some sort of pipeline for developing young talent. Maybe that starts to change and, and maybe some of these new leagues like this are going to be more of what the future looks like, but definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. It has been transparent how MLB really feels about these minor league teams. I remember teams such as the Dodgers, especially in that includes David Price, who kind of led the charge. They paid for, these minor league players to get pretty much $400 a week and make sure they're being paid because so many minor league players got furloughed and didn't get paid enough during this pandemic when they already make pretty much under minimum wage for their tenure during six months when they play or even less than that. And they usually have to even play or take on non-baseball related jobs in the off season as well. So Ben, I really do hope that you're right in the sense that I'm going to be starting to just focus on less minor league teams, but decking them out a bit. We saw how the Blue Jays went, moved to Buffalo, took over the Buffalo Bison Stadium and just totally revamped the stadium. They probably made everything up to major league quality. And that would be a nice change of pace to see for the minor leagues because they are professional players. And a lot of them will become major league players as well. So to have all those facilities needed, if they put more money in that, that'd be great to see. But I mean, I haven't heard too much of that traction on my part, but hopefully that would change around for them. And I also do want to go back to um, what you mentioned about the Appalachian League. 
as well. That's a league in the East Coast that is becoming an independent league. So again, they're being downgraded, but at least that the fans will be able to see their teams play, which is great, and they're still existing. And there's also the Pioneer League teams out in the West that was originally a rookie ball league, but now they're becoming an independent league as well as an MLB partner, which is essentially there's more players shuffling in and out than a usually minor league, than a usual minor league organization where you usually get like one or two players. This time will be a lot more. So it's nice to see the MLBs keeping these minor league teams in the loop. So that's definitely a good thing that MLB is moving towards. Yeah, I need to go see a game out in the Appalachian League, man. That's that's right around the corner for me. Hey, likewise for me in the Pioneer League. I mean, I went to college out there in Colorado. I always wanted to see baseball in the Rocky Mountains. And I was actually looking forward to finally break, finally doing that this year, maybe catching a game of that team in Colorado Springs at Rocky Mountain Vibes. But not, but I didn't get any of the vibes this season. But thankfully, thankfully, I'll be able to in future seasons. I mean, I'm, I'm just thankful that they're gonna that the Pioneer League is gonna still be maintained. That's not being completely abolished. And that call it, let's say Colorado's adding another team. I'd love to see some more Rocky Mountain baseball. It's always a fun region to watch baseball in particularly. You guys are making me want to see a Long Island Ducks game or a Brooklyn Cyclones game, but unfortunately won't be seeing any more Staten Island Yankee games. That was one of the first professional baseball games I ever saw. Staten Island Yankees versus Brooklyn Cyclones. I took the ferry for the first time to Staten Island, saw that game, but unfortunately the Staten Island Yankees slash pizza rats because they did that to add that to their name, which is hilarious. They are ceasing operations, which is really sad because they seem to be one of the biggest losers of any minor league team. Not only were they downgrade, of course, they were just completely out of existence at this point. And essentially what happened was that the Yankees had this press release a couple of days ago. And in their press release, it pretty much alluded to the fact that originally that they were gonna still have the Staten Island Yankees as their affiliation, but that may no longer be the case. They may have to be an independent league team. So Stanley Yankees have to lose all their players in the roster. They don't have enough funding. And they're even having a lawsuit against the Yankees because of this apparent contradiction as well. So they've been around with the Yankees forever. They've been at playing at their ballpark. I believe it's Richmond County Bank ballpark since 2001. And they're just gone. And it's, it seems really hard for them to make a comeback and just resume plays. This could be it for Staten Island baseball for a little bit. And I love how you talked about too, you just, you related it to a childhood experience, a memory fresh in your mind. And and that's probably something, you know, baseball fans all around the country have better connections to their own local minor league teams. And in many places, it, it feels like the rug is getting ripped out from underneath you. And, and certainly the Staten Island Yankees feel that way as well. And Really, man, it just looks like they got shafted and, and there's no way around it. And it's, it's just not a good look for the league. And I, I've heard a lot, too, about um, like the league not being very uh, forthright in the way that they're breaking the news to these organizations that a lot of the times it seems like they're finding out over social media. I can't forget what team it was, but one like uh, quote tweeted and said, did we just get broke up with on uh, so via social media when the team and the MLB team had tweeted out that, they were no longer an affiliate. So it's sad and and it's sad to see the, the kind of apparent disrespect to not have the decency to sit down and, you know, tell the organization before breaking it to the news via tweet. Yeah, I just think it's terrible how every season it's like teams are competing to get this minor league affiliate or that minor league affiliate based on the stadium and how I've had to see teams over the years give up and change minor league affiliates. I mean, 
I mean, I feel like that's one area of the game we want to see more consistency in. And yeah, speaking of childhood experiences, I mean, I know it was interesting. I was actually in some ways shocked that that the Staten Island is that the Staten Island Yankees are no longer there, but yet they are maintaining that double A team, the Trenton Thunder. And the Trenton Thunder is interesting. I, I go way back with them when I was like a little little kid visiting my family in New Jersey. I think one of the first baseball games I actually went to was a Trenton Thunder game way back then, when back, way back before I even knew what baseball was. So that team certainly has a nostalgia factor there. And it's interesting to see what happened to them and a little bit saddening too that they were downgraded. I think just to add to your point with the Trenton Thunder, I think they've produced players such as Brett Gardner. I think even Derek Jeter's made pit stops there. They've been home to plenty of productive Yankees in the past. And I think they're a part of another major league organization in the past. Now they're forced to go in the MLB draft with no longer an affiliate of the Yankees. And that's unfortunate. So at least they're keeping most teams around, but it's unfortunate to see teams such that became losers, such as the Staten Island Yankees. And hopefully this won't happen as often and they won't get shafted as Henry said. <laughs> and I like what you talked about earlier in the show too, how maybe it is a stronger plan to move forward investing in a smaller more you know uh compartmentalized i guess i don't know if that's the right word but a smaller base of, of minor league teams rather than pouring money into all the existing teams then having everybody go under to better to save a few than try and save everybody and not be able to save everybody and on that note that pretty much wraps up the show for today thank you henry and ben for joining me thank you to all the viewers who tuned in and until next time, this is the Exit Viewer Podcast. <laughs>